Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. in this place this morning giving evidence and proof to his word that it is forever settled and true that where we gather together in his name he said he would be in the midst of that and he has certainly certainly held his bargain his his side of the bargain up on that today if you would join me this morning in your bibles we're going to begin in Luke chapter 10 we're going to we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 10 for the majority of our lesson this morning. We are going to conclude the study that we have been walking through in loving the unloved. Brother Everett started this series talking about the looking for the overlooked and that how God blesses those who are overlooked, often children, Brother Rayleigh followed him speaking on the hands of Jesus in that Jesus is willing to reach out and touch and heal those that society seems to just cast aside. Brother Williams, in his most unique way last week, talked to us about water from the well, admonishing us that God is willing to pour out his spirit and, and that living water to whomsoever will come to that well and we're going to conclude that study this week with loving your neighbor and talking about the love that we should have for our neighbor the fact of the matter is this God requires us to love our neighbors but he requires us to do it in such a way that we love them the same way that we love ourselves we're going to begin Luke 10 chapter 10 verse 36 the ending of a parable, Jesus says, Now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, and we'll get into this a little bit further, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. And from that scripture, we're going to talk about love your neighbor. Why don't you lift your hands now? Why don't you lift your voice and let's pray and let's ask the Lord with his word to touch every heart and every mind in this building, Lord. We ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, humbly, we stand before you. God, we are, we are not indifferent to your word, God, but we are hungering for your word. And so we're asking you, Lord, now in Jesus' name that you would let that word so permeate every part of our being. God, that we would become what you have said we can become to everyone that is here under the sound of my voice, to everyone that is listening, Lord, including myself, God, mold us and make us into the people that you've called us to be. 
in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Unfortunately, in the hour that we live, we find ourselves in a very self-absorbed society. When it comes to others, humanity, unfortunately, is and can be quite introverted. Now, it certainly is not the case with every human being on the planet. However, we are oversaturated. We are forever inundated with programming and advertisement that places all the focus on self. Now, for the most part, we carry out our life at a very fast-paced in a relatively unforgiving environment. Deadlines, appointments, obligations, all of which in and of themselves are needful at times and somewhat appropriate in order to navigate the demands of our modern day existence. Yet, if we are not careful, we can adopt the mindset or the, the worldview that places all the focus on ourselves. Regretfully, I stand here regretfully and say this, that I have been guilty. I have been guilty the length of the days ahead of us and the length of the days that we live as they begin to blend together in one conglomerate of an entire season or seasons of mindless droning and marching. Marching to keep the pace of a proverbial drum of life completely drowning out others around us. Numb to their needs and oblivious to their situations and their circumstances. So the result is that the love of people waxes cold. Sensitivity to the hurting that is around us wanes and the attentive to the requisite mission becomes a distant memory. And we are just marching. We are just living. We are just walking. And all that we are left with is fulfilling what is pertinent to me, myself, and mine. Completely oblivious to our neighbor. And so who is my neighbor? That's a question that I hope that we can answer by the end of this today. Who is, who is my neighbor? In our modern society and in our modern way of living, with it comes a very modern take on what a neighbor is. You see, in our postmodern world, we have adopted postmodern definitions. The word neighbor, as we see it, often refers to someone living in close proximity to where we may live or a person who lives next door to us, uh, perhaps the apartment across the hall, the, the family down the street, they're my neighbors. Perhaps even the person on the adjacent property, we would call them our neighbors or maybe even the person that is sitting in the pew around us. But to understand the word neighbor, to understand the word neighbor using our dictionary definition, 
while attempting to understand what Jesus is talking about in the text that we just read would be a gross misunderstanding of the concept in which Jesus is teaching. I'll explain. It is, after all, what Jesus used to answer the question that most of humanity is asking today, whether outwardly or inwardly, they're all asking it. And so while Jesus is instructing Luke 10 and 25, the Bible says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And the lawyer answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. In verse 28, And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. Now, let's look at this in the right context and through the right lens. As many as had already attempted and categorically failed, the lawyer here attempted to ensnare the Lord in his words. You see, it wasn't just a genuine question. How do I, how do I get eternal life? And it was not the first time that Jesus had been asked this question. In fact, in Matthew 22, there was a similar occurrence. Let's look at that. Several Sadducees had already attempted to ensnare him. They had already attempted to entangle him in his words, asking him questions regarding the resurrection of the dead. And through their ridiculous and through their fanciful scenarios and their hypothetical interrogations, Jesus appeals to the very law of Moses in which they, the Sadducees, had referenced. Skillfully, flawlessly, artfully exposing the scriptures to them and expertly proving the resurrection of the dead was in fact going to happen. This perks the attention of the expert lawyer. The student of the law, the scribe, the Pharisee, he asked the question in Matthew 22 and 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? That's something we must understand here. This was the atmosphere of their day. This is a day in which Jewish legal experts were attempting to prioritize the commandments. Their conversations surrounded and and, and centered around and, and through debates to determine which laws were light and which laws were weighty. That's what they were doing. And so in this case, their goal was not to gain some sort of insight or some sort of revelation into the word of God or into the scripture but what they were attempting to do was to induce Jesus to say something that they could discredit him with because if there was in fact one great commandment 
if there was in fact one great thing that someone must do, that it was vital that a, quote, expert in the law should know it. But what they would soon discover, what they would soon come to know is that they were not standing with someone who was just an expert in the law. They were, they were standing against someone or standing up to someone who was more than just a law enthusiast. They would come to soon realize that they beheld someone far greater than a student of the law. But where they were standing and in close proximity to was the presence of the author. Where they were standing and who they were speaking to was not only an enthusiast or a student or someone who had, had fancied themselves into learning it, but they were standing in, in the presence of the law giver. And so Jesus, Matthew 22 and thir verse 37, Jesus said unto him, this is the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. They asked for one. They got more than what they bargained for. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Brief, concise, direct. Jesus responds to them by quoting the law, Deuteronomy 6 and 5, and Leviticus 19 and 18. Deuteronomy commands that one love God uncompartmentalized with one's whole being, while Leviticus 19 and 18 commands that one love others as one does, in fact, love one's self. And so this is it. This is all you need to know. These are the great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It is the Torah. It is the law. It is the prophets. And this is how you obey it. From the testator, from the progenitor, from the mouth of the originator. It's directly from him. This is how you do it. Yet... In our text, when Jesus cites this, somebody say there's always one in the crowd. <laughs> and for our benefit, we're thankful that there was one in the crowd because there's always one that's going to take it one step further. And I, for one, am thankful that he took it one step further. No matter what his motives may be, we'll reveal this in a moment. But I'm thankful that there was one in the crowd. You see, it wasn't just enough that Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. That didn't do it for him. The Bible says in Luke 10 and 29, but he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now this may seem quite elementary, and I know this is quite elementary this morning. We're just on the bottom shelf, and that's okay. But we must understand something here. We, we've got to understand something that's somewhat obvious in this scenario. Now, this is going to blow your mind. 
But Jesus is talking to a religious person. Jesus is speaking to someone right here and there who was called according to the purpose of God. Standing in the office of a God-ordained position, a quote, so-called student of the law, as well as a teacher of the law among and a part of a people who were chosen by God. And he asked the question, and who is my neighbor? However, though he was called, though he was an understanding man of the law, even though the Bible calls him a lawyer, which means he was an, ex an expert in the law, one one thing is, it remains the, 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 the sad nature of all of this is that the lawyer sadly had fallen in love with the law rather than the law giver. And it prompted him to ask a justifying question of himself. Who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer asked the question in order to justify himself, wishing to get himself out of the difficulty by pushing the definition of who a neighbor is onto Jesus, which the Jews had already narrowly, very narrowly interpreted. You see, in his own mind, the, the Jewish lawyer was keeping the law. But see, if the lawyer could determine specifically who was and who was not his neighbor, then he would have justification by Jesus himself of not loving some people or loving some people. Prioritizing, compartmentalization, we'll put this here and we'll put this here and we'll put this at this degree and we'll put this at this degree. We'll compartmentalize and then we will prioritize which would have successfully accomplished what he had set out to do, both simultaneously ensnaring Jesus in his words and effectively getting off the hook. Now, unfortunately, this is a predominant approach. Unfortunately, this is where we find ourselves today. You see, we're looking for a specific list. We're looking for a specific definition. We're looking for a one, two, three, four type of thing. We're looking for specifics approaching to fulfilling God's law and his commandment by a rigid degree of difficulty. You see, we seek to complete the seemingly easy task while leaving off those things that appear to be daunting or somewhat require further Commitment and what many people are looking for today and let it never be said of the church of the living God. They are looking for a legal duty. A status quo. A minimum requirement. You see the Jewish elite attempted to entangle Jesus in his response. But however, what would proceed out of the mouth of the Savior would completely overturn the ideology of the hour. And it completely overturns the ideology of the hour today. Without hesitation, without clearing his throat, Jesus answers as he often does with a parable. It is often arguably one of the most famous of Jesus' parables. And just the other day, without searching it out, I saw a news article 
headline that referenced the good or a good Samaritan. We see them dotting the landscape of reports and story documentaries of heroism and the help of human suffering. Just to name a few, this week, Good Samaritan jumps on a knife and stabbing woman on a New York subway. Good Samaritan pulls family from flaming vehicle. Our nation alone is replete with care facilities that bear the name Good Samaritan Center or such the like. And so Jesus tells the story of a Samaritan, but not just any Samaritan. Jesus told the story of a good Samaritan, Luke 10 and 30. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. A certain man, by implication a Jew, but otherwise unidentified. The next two verses account two passerby, a priest, a religious leader, perhaps one that performed ritual sacrifices for the people in the atonement of their sins and maintained the temple and provided instruction to others. Now we cannot say with absolute certainty that a priest, this priest was leaving Jerusalem or whether he was going there indicating whether he was on his way to his duty or coming from his duty. But verse 31 says, By chance there came down, down a priest. The man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so it's not pertinent to the story necessarily, but there is, a, there is an implication that the priest was on the way from his duty. Can I say it like this? He was leaving church. He was on his way home. Either way, it doesn't matter. Whether he was on the way to perform these duties or whether he was coming from performing these duties, Jesus said he passed by the man. But not just passed by him, but he passed by him on the other side of the road. Likewise, a Levite, he does the same. Only this time the Levite comes near to him and, and looks upon him. Supposing that he may be dead, most likely similar to the priest in his thinking, the Levite and the priest both refrain from care or compassion for the man. Perhaps not wanting to risk being ceremonially unclean by dealing with a dead body, the law. They provided nothing. They looked upon him. They saw his condition and they walked by. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan. It's very interesting that Jesus used a Samaritan to love, to show love and mercy and compassion. Strategic, in fact, Brother Williams. He alluded to this last week. The people of Samaria, Samaria were of a mixed Israelite and foreign descent. So the Jewish people didn't accept them as being part of the Jewish community. 
the hostilities between Jews and Samaritans dated all the way back to the late 6th century B.C. Now the Samaritans worshipped Jehovah. Hear me now. And they used a version of the Pentateuch as their scripture. But they worshipped on Mount Gerizim. They didn't worship in Jerusalem like the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. And so the Samaritans were despised in the eyes of the Jews, both ethnically and religiously. But in that day, the feeling was mutual. However, in this instance, the hero is the heretic. Shocking. Stunning. Shocking to the audience. The Samaritan is portrayed in the positive while the Jew, the priest, the called, the Levite, the chosen are in the negative. This was an open air indictment. The story of the Samaritan displays compassion. The story of the Samaritan love shows love and mercy in a universal sense and it demonstrates the extent that real love is supposed to extend. Think about this for a moment. Why would Jesus use a Samaritan to display love and mercy in a story that he is being attempted to debunk, to derail, to, to entangle in his words? Perhaps, perhaps, and this is just food for thought, perhaps the ability of the Samaritan to have shown such mercy and grace is that he was familiar with rejection. Perhaps it was because he was familiar with distaste and distrust. Perhaps it was because he was familiar with hatred and variance as well as exclusion and seclusion. But what the Samaritan does is that he uses that to go beyond his legal obligation or his legal duty. The Samaritan extends beyond the status and takes it beyond the minimum, taking the wounded to his refuge, binding up his wounds, and paying for his extensive and extended recovery. And so Jesus asked the question, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. His goal was to ensnare him. His goal was to entrap him by making him divine, define who the lawyer's neighbor was. But what he does as he always does is he turns the question back to the accuser. Now no longer are we attempting to define who his neighbor is, but we are attempting to define who was neighbor. Let me say that again. We are no longer attempting in the lawyer's stance to find out who is neighbor to him. But now we're attempting to find out who was neighbor to the man. Who has the lawyer been neighbor to? And so begrudgingly, but without excuse, the lawyer reluctantly replies, and he said, he that showed mercy on him. Now, the lawyer can't even say the name Samaritan, much less good Samaritan. 
He can't even articulate his nationality. Regardless, his admonition declares his own condemnation. It declares his own condemnation upon himself and upon his own nation because God requires us to love our neighbors. But because he loves and because he requires us to love, God's objective, his, his, his end game is not to cause condemnation or to bring a condemning accusation, nor is it to leave anyone in a state of condemnation, whether it be self-imposed or whether it be imposed by another, because Jesus answered him simply, go and do thou likewise. He said unto him, go and do this same thing. Go and do thou likewise. Can I tell you this morning, that command is still the same yesterday as it is today. It was, it was just as pertinent then when he told the lawyer as it is right now in our hour. Go and do thou likewise. But there is one more aspect. Because there's always one in the crowd. There's always one more step. Not only does Jesus require us to love our neighbor, but the command is accompanied by a qualifier. The command is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So this is where it becomes most challenging. I like ranch dressing. I like real ranch dressing. I like ranch dressing that's got as much fat in it as it, it can get. I can taste the difference. Because my wife tries to slip it in every once in a while. I love ranch dressing for me. If they want to eat low fat, go buy it. If I go to the grocery store, I'm buying Ken's. All fat, not low fat. But if I was buying somebody's groceries... Would I buy the $5 Kins and that big, huge pump deal? Or would I say, let's, let's go over here and get the Publix brand? So it's not difficult to love ourselves. It's not difficult to express love to ourselves. It's not difficult for us to express love in general. We generally do that by expressing it verbally. I love you. I love you. Praying for you. I love you with my words. But real love, real love requires action. Real love is, is all tied and tangled up in commitment. See, Jesus uses the word love, agapeo, which means to welcome or to entertain. You see, we have no difficulties entertaining ourselves. We don't typically deny ourselves of any comfort or any amenities. I like ranch dressing. I like air conditioning. We want, I want to go camping. I think I want to go camping. But my wife says, we got to have AC if we're going camping. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to make AC. So we don't have any business talking about being denied. Because we don't have any problem denying ourselves. You see, for the most part... We provide for ourselves, dot, dot, dot. You can fill in the blank. Whatever your vice is, and I know that's a bad word, but whatever it is, 
And so we have the ability to make that choice. And for the most part, within reason, we have the ability to make that choice. And we like to have the ability to make that choice. But just like we can choose to love ourselves, we have the ability to love our neighbors as ourselves. The fact that Jesus so freely said, go and do thou likewise, is proof positive that this is not a hard thing. You can choose to do what is right. You can choose to love. You can choose to give with all that you have. And you can choose to love your neighbor. But what you must not and what you do not have the right to choose is who that neighbor is. We can choose all day long whether or not we're going to love someone. But we don't get to choose who that is. We don't choose the neighbor. No, the word neighbor is plesion. It's an adverb. It means a friend or any other person. And where two are concerned, the other. Fellow man. The fact is, is that you can travel this globe. And hear me, I'm not talking about my grandmother. But you can run into your neighbor. You can go anywhere on this planet. Let me qualify that for a second. We used to go far reaches on vacation and she would find someone she already knew. How does that happen? How do we go across the country and you find somebody that lives in the same city that you live that's on vacation at the same time? So I shouldn't have said that. But you can travel the globe and you will run into your neighbor on a bus, on the street, in a store, in an office, in your neighborhood, on your job, direct contact, indirect contact, close proximity, anyone and everyone, all. Let me say it again, on a bus, on a street, in a store, wherever you may find yourself, whether you make eye contact or not, you will run into your neighbor because all are our neighbor, loving them as much and as well as you love God and yourself and of them. I do not have the choice of who or who is not my neighbor. And so if I do have the ability to make that choice, it puts even more emphasis and more importance than ever before on how I treat everyone around me. Because in this, the law is fulfilled. Light and airy? No. Heavy. Weighty. All. The Apostle Paul summed it up this way, also quoting Leviticus 19. While writing to the Galatian church, Paul says in Galatians 5 and 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. By quoting Leviticus 19 and 18, Paul shows that the law itself upholds love as the principal goal in keeping the law. In fact, it was the scripture that Paul used to springboard into multiple instructions to the Galatian church promoting good, healthy Christian 
living. Paul said, all of the law. This includes all five books written by Moses from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And so what Paul was saying, in other words, instead of trying to painstakingly read and review and remember to obey all the fine details of the Torah, one could simply follow this guiding principle and fulfill all those laws efficiently and effectively to love your neighbor as yourself. It is the most basic, yet it is more profound than you and I could ever understand. It is the most proficient way in pleasing God to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this morning I say again, I have to make the choice. I say it again. I must make the choice. The choice to love God. And the choice to love my neighbor. The choice to do it with everything that is within me. Because that choice is not so difficult when it comes to God. That's the easy part of the bargain. That's the easy part of the scenario. That choice is not that difficult to love God because I know he loves me. Just ask Brother Williams. He, he preached my message. Last week he quoted Psalm 68 19. It's not hard to love a God who daily loads us with benefits. Every day that I awake, when I take a breath, I can look to God and say, I love you because he's given me breath in my lungs and a life to live. His hand is on my life and he has provided everything that I need. And so it is not difficult to find a reason to love him. But what about others? What about those who have hurt us? What about those who have betrayed us? What about those who perhaps even ongoingly in this moment use us regardless? We are called to love. And we are called to love all. I'll ask our musicians to come. And so my question to us if we are called to love and that we are called to love all my question is this how could we not how could I not love others how could I not love them because Jesus said a certain man, a certain man, interestingly, the word that he used refers to mankind or a human being, a person. The Bible says a certain man went down from Jerusalem. A certain man traveling downward from Jerusalem, the city of God, an approximately 19-mile rocky descent to Jericho, 10 of those miles dropping some 3,500 feet down. 
down. A treacherous journey where thieves would often lie in wait to rob those attempting its passage. A certain man, a certain man went down to Jericho, from Jericho. Perhaps generalized and somewhat vague, nevertheless explicitly specific when referencing who the neighbor is. There's a reason why I believe God begins this this way. A certain man, any man. You see, that certain man can be anyone. That certain man can be any man, any woman, any person. See, I stand before you today knowing what I say is true because I was a certain man. I was that certain man. And Jesus came and saw where I was. Half dead, yet living, yet destined for eternal permanent death. But Jesus did not pass me by. No, he picked me up. And he bore my burdens. Stepping down from heaven's throne, he took upon him the burden of my sin and removed it from me. He arranged for my immediate salvation and on my own going recovery as long as it may take. He said, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to give until there's nothing left to give. I'm going to pick you up, son. I'm going to put you on my own beast. I'm going to take you somewhere where you can rest and where you can recover and where you can gain your strength. And it does not matter how long it will take because I have paid enough. I have paid enough that it will cover. It will cover all And so then he commanded, go and do thou likewise. Go and do what I have done. Go and love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. And love God with all your mind and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love them as I have loved you. Love them as I have cared for you. Care for others. Do this and live. Do this and prosper. Do this and live. Make 
it your life. Make it your lifestyle. Don't attempt to define who your neighbor is. Be a neighbor to all that you come in to contact with. Let it be your heartbeat. Let it be something that you live by. Let it be something that drives you. Let it be something that concerns you and pushes you and prompts you and watch God do something miraculous through you and by his miraculous power. Do this and live. Go thou and do thou likewise. Do what I have done for you. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet this morning and why don't you lift your hands to heaven and why don't you thank him because you were that certain man. You were that certain man that went down from from, from Jerusalem unto Jericho. You left maybe the city of God. You may have walked away for a moment and you were robbed. You were robbed of everything you had and you were left half dead but Jesus he didn't pass you by he came to where you were and he picked you up and he made you whole and he gave you a future and a promise and told you to go and do thou likewise why don't we lift our hands why don't we lift our voice why don't we give him praise and glory and honor for all that he has done for he is worthy he is worthy he is worthy this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church we pray that it's ministered to you in some way and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. for any more information or to speak with our ministry staff please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.